If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you're making your way there, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we bow before you today and we uh, realize that uh, we cannot go through this life. We confess that we cannot go through this life alone without your Son as our Savior, all of us are lost. Without your help, uh, none of us, uh, we have nothing. I mean, you give us the very breath that we breathe. You're the one who sustains us day by day. We acknowledge our full and complete dependence upon you. And even now as we look into your word, unless you open up our hearts and our minds, we cannot even... Um, understand the truth and the teaching of your word unless you teach us. And so we ask that you would um, do that. Teach us now about this matter of prayer. And we ask for your grace and your help in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1 is going to be our text. We'll be there in a few moments. Our friendship uh, began with the push of a buzzer. I'm here to see the pastor, was the voice on the other end of the intercom. And so I went down the stairs and went to the front door, and there stood a man around five foot eight, sporting a mustache and wearing his glasses. He stuck out his hand and he said, Hi, my name is Carl Johnson. I live in the neighborhood. And every time I drive by your church, I want you to know that I pray for you and your congregation. My wife and I are members at another church. But on Saturday mornings, I walk through the neighborhood and I go door to door. And I introduce myself. I ask people if there's something I can pray with them about. And then I leave them a gift. And inside the gift bag is a copy of my testimony, a tract. And I was wondering... I was wondering if you had something from your church that I could share with people letting them know about Fellowship Baptist Church. And that was the start of our friendship that lasted for 10 years until two summers ago when Carl went home to be with the Lord. Those of you who knew Carl, remember him, know that he suffered from a disease that attacked his muscular system. He grew up on a farm in South Dakota. Uh, during his ministry years, he would lead men on um, wilderness trips up in Colorado. Carl was anything but a frail man. And yet the final years of his life were marked by a steady decline in physical strength and ability. For over 30 years, Carl had invested his life in discipling men and developing them, training them to be spiritual leaders that God had called them to be. And quite possibly, Carl's most fruitful years of ministry were the final years of his life. Most days, unable to leave the house, he would spend his days praying for others, pastors and people, congregations and communities, weekly, oftentimes several times a week. Carl would send us a text um, sharing with us what God was teaching him in the scriptures and how he was praying for us. When I would go by to visit Carl, he would ask, how can I pray for you, Kevin? And I would share something, and I'd say, well, Carl, how can I pray for you? And, and his requests were three, 
but two were almost every time. And the two are these. Pray that I would not wallow in self-pity. That I wouldn't just uh, feel sorry for myself and my condition. And pray that I would love people well. Pray that I would love my wife well, Cindy, and my kids well. And then there were, you know, all of us, we have extra grace-required people in our lives, right? And yet, pray that I would love my extra grace-required people well. That was his testimony. That was his legacy. Carl was an intercessor. He was a prayer warrior. He was someone who stood in the gap for other people. This summer, we've been um, considering the power of prayer. We've been looking at that. And my hope this summer is that God would rekindle in all of us a renewed passion for prayer, that God would not just teach us more about prayer, but God would birth in us, like Carl, a fervency for prayer, right? And so today, we're going to look at the power of intercessory prayer, the power of praying for others. Let me introduce you to a second person this morning. We're going to get to the text here eventually. You guys okay? So you met Carl, knew Carl. Uh, the second individual that I want to introduce you to, his name is Max Barnett. Never met Max in person, only through the pages of his biography. Uh, I would imagine that probably none of us here this morning have ever heard of Max. Max grew up in West Texas, went to A&M, uh, uh, went to A&M uh, to be a vet, but there God changed the trajectory of his life. Uh, while studying... Uh, Veterinarian medicine, he and a group of guys started ministering on campus. God called him to uh, ministry. And so Max uh, never uh, got a, a degree at something in, in, at, at uh, A&M. I can't remember what it was. But in 1960, he enrolled at the seminary here in Fort Worth where our brother uh, from India, Bicha Ternanda, is a student now. He had a passion and a vision to reach and disciple college students and the bulk of his ministry was spent at OU discipling and training Sooners. Any Sooners here this morning? All right, well, just testimony that God does work north of the Red River, right? Amen? We don't, we don't care that God works north of the Red River. We were just like really provincial people, that Texas only or what? I don't know. Um, during his uh, ministry, uh, his season in Dallas... Uh, God called him to, while he was at the seminary, God opened the door and made it possible for him to work with, start a Baptist Student Union ministry, college ministries for the Southern Baptist on three campuses, eventually four, Southwest Medical uh, School, uh, SMU, the Texas Women's University, and eventually DBU. And as his biography points out, he had a firm commitment to train with practicality, like, so not just know stuff about the Bible, but to live it out and put it into practice. And one of the things that he would, uh, he had a firm commitment in prayer, challenged by the testimonies of biographies of Hudson Taylor, George Mueller's, and others like him, like those, he wanted to, for prayer to be part of his everyday life, right? Prayer to be part of his everyday life. And so oftentimes, Max would go to the park to be alone with the Lord, and he would pray, and so one day he was thinking about Proverbs 13, verse 22, which says that the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. Max began to pray something like this. Lord, you're quite capable of meeting our needs, and your word says that you even store up for the righteous 
what belongs to the wicked. We'd like to have a training program. If it is pleasing to you, would you provide us a house? Max prayed that, sensed the Lord saying to him, well, where would you like to have the house? And so he said, Lord, we would like to have, I'd like to have the house, if possible, right across the street from this park where I'd like to meet with you. And so the next day, Max walks into, his, into uh, his apartment there. His roommate, Jack Isaacson, mentioned that a five-bedroom, four-bath four house came for sale right across the street from the park. Max and his roommate, Jack, they called the realtor to see if the owners would be interested in renting the house instead of selling it. And she said, no, the owners only want to sell it. And so Max and Jack, they began to pray. And several weeks later, they noticed the house was still for sale. So they called the realtor to find out about the availability of the house. The realtor said this. He said, this is one of the best pieces of properties I've ever listed. I can't understand why it hasn't sold yet. (laughs) Max and Jack just smiled. and They said, well, would you talk to the owner again to see if they'd be interested in renting it out? Long story short, January 1963, they moved into the house And for the next couple of years, that home became a training center where Max would disciple young men as they were uh, preparing for their professional careers, studying at various universities around the Metroplex. Part of their training program was that they would, Max would challenge them to serve their neighbors. One of the elderly neighbors that lived across the the street from the house uh, said that the one of the previous, own, uh, the previous owner of the home had been a wealthy man who had been known for his partying ways. Max smiled as he thought back to that verse in Proverbs chapter 13, 22, that the wealth of the wicked are stored up for the righteous. And that experience and others challenged Max to trust the Lord every day and to claim his promises for them. He wanted to live a life of fervent, faithful prayer. The principle that began to govern his life was this. If it was a concern, if the concern was big enough, let me, if it was a big enough concern for him, it was a big enough concern to pray about. If it was a big enough concern for him, it was a big enough concern to pray about. Nothing was beyond the realm of prayer because Max, uh, uh, because to Max, God was interested in every area of his life. So why am I sharing these stories with you? Because I want to rekindle in us a renewed passion for prayer. To rekindle in us a renewed passion for us. And so let's, this morning, I want to talk this morning about intercessory prayer. The message today can be broken into three parts. What? What is intercessory prayer? So let's come up with a definition. Why is intercessory prayer important? What does the scripture teach us about intercessory prayer? And then how do we go about practicing intercessory prayer? So let's start with the definition. What is intercessory prayer? Intercessory prayer, a definition we can use is this. is standing in the gap between God and someone in need. Intercessory prayer is standing in the gap between God and someone in need. And so here we have a person who is in need. And over here is God. God who is almighty. God who is all able. God who is all knowing, all loving, all just, all wise. And there is God over here who has all ability. Here is an individual in need. And here is an intercessor standing between the person in need and the God who is more than able. Right? That is intercessory prayer. I think of the old African spiritual song that says, It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, 
standing in need of prayer. It's not my mother, it's not my father, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. It's not my preacher, not my deacon, O oh Lord, it's me, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, O oh Lord, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. There are times when someone we know is standing in need of prayer. And we who are the children of God, we are called to stand in the gap for them. And so this week, I began to study what the scriptures had to say about intercession, and I came across a surprising discovery. You guys want to know what my surprising discovery is this week? All right, we'll just go on. <laughs> the surprising discovery is this. The Bible gives very little instruction regarding intercessory prayer. Very little instruction. This is how you do it. But when you go into the Scriptures from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God's people throughout the Word of God are found to be praying for, interceding, standing in the gap for those who are in need. Sometimes, you know, when we're talking as parents, you know, we'll, maybe we're encouraging other parents and we'll say things like this to, our par- to other parents. We'll say, you know, some things are more caught than taught. Right? Have you ever said that? Yet nobody's ever said that? <laughs> one person? One person only. Okay. Uh, some things are more caught than taught. I think this is going to apply to intercessory prayer. Although the instruction regarding how to intercede for others is limited throughout Scripture. We find people, the people of God, praying for, interceding, standing in the gap for others. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. The nation of Israel has just come out of Egypt. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. On the other side of the Red Sea, I mean inside the Red Sea, the armies of Egypt are buried, right? They're, They're covered up with water. And now they're standing in a new vista. And guess what's in front of them? The dreaded Amalekites. Right? The Israelites, they weren't trained soldiers. They were former slaves. They weren't carrying any weapons. All they were carrying were their possessions. Right? Uh, When they were uh, attacked by the Amalekites, Moses went up on the ridge. And on top of the ridge, he prayed while Joshua was in the valley leading the fight. And as long as Moses' hands were raised in the air to God, God would give the victory. Moses prayed, Joshua fought, God gave the victory. 1 Samuel, it says 1 Samuel chapter 12, that's another verse. The the reference I'm going to talk about is 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. uh, Centuries later, uh, the people of God were settled in the promised land, but this time they were threatened by the feared and fierce Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel prays, and God gave deliverance. John chapter 17, fast forward to the New Testament. Garden of Gethsemane, hours before the crucifixion. Jesus is there praying, sweating drops of blood. Not only praying for himself, but also praying for his disciples. And praying for those who would believe on him after them, right? And so, uh, that is that Jesus in the garden praying for himself, praying for the disciples, praying for you and me that night in the garden. Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus 
uh, is more than able to save those who come to him or come to God through him because he lives to make intercession for them. You go through the book of Acts and whenever you find someone in need in the book of Acts, you find the church praying. When Paul would write his letters to the churches, oftentimes his letters would begin, I am praying for you. And they would include the, uh, they would also include the admonition and pray for me also. To the church, uh, to Timothy, who was the pastoring the church in the city of Ephesus, God would use the Apostle Paul to write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for how many people? All people. Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. To the church in Ephesus, Paul would write from his Rome, as a prison cell in Rome, he would write, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Right? Uh, keep on praying. That, that's a, that that's a description here is that let there be an intensity. Don't stop praying because life gets hard. Keep on praying for all of God's people. Like Carl Johnson, like Max Barnett. Keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Pray for one another. You say, what, it, that, what is the power of intercessory prayer? Why are, is praying for one another so important? Our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 8 through 11, and I'm going to try to draw out some principles for us here from these verses here today. Beginning with verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we had despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers." Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Let's take a look at this passage. You say, why is intercessory prayer so important? Why does God call all of his people to stand in the gap between him and those who are in need? Let's take a look at this passage. Notice, first of all, the need, the need for intercessory prayer. There was trouble in Asia, trouble in Asia. Do you remember what intercessory prayer is? Intercessory prayer is what? For? For someone in need. Standing in the gap for someone in need. And so Paul begins his letter to the church in Corinth by writing about the need. And he identifies this trouble in Asia. Look again at those words. Notice those words that he said. He said that we were under great pressure. The idea here of great pressure is, is the idea of being burdened down, being weighed down. It's used, this word here for being under great pressure is, is used to describe the disciples in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was praying. The disciples, their eyes were heavy, right? Have you ever had heavy eyes? Right? Yesterday, uh, this uh, Thursday afternoon, I started getting a sense of vertigo 
Friday morning, I was walking around the house like a drunk sailor. I went to the doctor, and he says, I think you got a, a virus. Good, good news is maybe three to five days it'll pass. Man, yesterday, I could not, <laughs> I could not move. I mean, I was out. I, mean, I was like, Vicky would come in the room every couple hours. Are you okay? You still here? Are you still here with us? You in the land of the living? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. I just can't move, right? I mean, it just, it zapped everything out of me. It just knocked me down. That's the picture, that's, that, that's the description of this word here. We were burdened. We couldn't shake this. We couldn't get out from under this. It says that we were under great pressure, extreme pressure, extraordinary pressure. We were being weighed down far beyond our ability to endure. It was beyond our strength. It was beyond our ability to stand up. It was our beyond our ability to go on. We, feel like, we felt like we were going to collapse under this weight. Have you ever felt that? Like you're going to collapse under what is on top of you? Even so that we despaired of life itself. Despaired to be filled with, consumed with anger and, or fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety. We're falling apart emotionally. We're losing our composure. We received the sentence of death. We've been handed over to death itself. We can't go on. We're not going to make it. We're not going to get out of this. You know, how many times have we said something similar? We're not going to make it financially. Our marriage isn't going to survive this. I don't know how much more I can take of this. That's the death sentence. Trouble in Asia. Where do you have trouble? Maybe for you it's not trouble in Asia, maybe it's trouble at home. Trouble in my marriage. Trouble with my kids. Trouble with my parents. Maybe for you this morning, it's not trouble at Asia. Maybe it's trouble at work. A trouble with my boss. A trouble with my colleagues. A trouble with my direct reports. Students, maybe for you, it's trouble with school. A trouble with my teachers. Trouble with my peers. Maybe it's trouble that the pressure to just conform with the patterns of the world with my peers around me. That trouble that's just going to lead me away from Christ. Maybe for you this morning it's not a trouble out there, maybe it's a trouble within. The trouble's not there, the trouble's with me. It's my struggles, it's my addiction, it's my thoughts, my anger, my bitterness, my inability to forgive. Where, this morning, where do you have trouble? You see, this is why we must pray. This is why we're being called to pray for one another. The need, there's trouble in Asia. The purpose why, why do we have this? What is going on? Why, why is God allowing this? To, there's a lesson here, and that is that we would rely on God. Rely on God. Now think about our response so many times to trouble, right? 
How many times do we respond to trouble? God, why are you allowing this? Why aren't you doing, uh, why aren't you doing something about this situation? And notice Paul's response to the trouble in Asia, the second part of verse 9. The trouble in Asia had become a life lesson. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So that this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. No, rely, the, the idea there of relying is, is the idea there of, of being persuaded or being confident or being uh, convinced or certain. It's the idea of, of uh, having a sense of security, a sense of surety. And Paul writes, and he says, the trouble that we experienced in Asia was to teach us that our sense of security, our sense of surety is not to rest in ourselves our sense of security, our sense of surety doesn't come from what others might be able to do for us. No, our sense of security and our sense of surety must rest in God and God alone. This is why God allows uh, trouble to fall into our lives so that we might come to the end of ourselves and rely fully on Him. It is, as if, it is as if though all the props in our lives, the things that, that we count on, success and image and status and family and the things that we own and our wealth and our health and strength, God just says, no, if you're counting on that, I'm going to begin to cut that away. I'm going to begin to prune that out of your life so that you begin to learn to rely fully on only on me. The need for intercessory prayer. There's trouble in Asia. Why is intercessory prayer so important so that we would learn to rely on God? What is the outcome? Notice the outcome. Paul tells us in verse 10 that there was deliverance from a deadly Peril. There was de deliverance from deadly peril. Look again at verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Did you catch that word? What do you, what do you think might be the key word in verse 10? It starts with a D. Deliver, right? Yeah, deliver. He's delivered us. He will deliver us. He will continue to deliver us, right? Uh, that idea of deliver, the word there is to rescue from severe and acute danger. Uh, to re rescue from severe and acute danger it is to, to snatch away, to grab a hold of, to, to seize up. You think of a, of a child uh, swimming in the pool. Maybe they've gone out in the, in the deep section. They can't get back. They're, they're going under. And a father, what does he do? He snatches his child up. He grabs a hold of his child. He rescues his child. He delivers his child. That's the picture that's used here for God. You know, he has delivered us. He has snatched us from this overwhelming, life-taking, emotionally draining trouble. He has delivered us from that trouble that we're facing, right? 
He has rescued us from the trouble in Asia. He is rescuing us from the trouble that he's facing, we're facing right now. He will deliver us from the trouble that is yet to come. That's what Paul is saying in verse 10. He is confident of that. But how? Why was Paul so certain of the deliverance that would yet come? Because of the deliverance that he had already received. Why did they receive deliverance? Look at the means. Help by praying. Help came because of the prayers. Help would come because of the prayers that would be offered. Look what verse 11 says. As you help us, or as the ESV says, you must also help us by prayer. You must also help us by prayer. You say, how does God deliver? How does God rescue? How does God snatch his people from trouble? Oftentimes, God works through the prayers of his people. God works through the prayers of his people. Intercession. This is why intercessory prayer is so important. This is why God is calling you and I to pray. That we would stand in the gap for people who are in need. That we would stand in the gap for people who are in need. Now, this uh, Paul's experience here in, in uh, Corinth, uh, second, uh, the second letter to the church of Corinth, was not unique, was not isolated to the church in Philippi just a uh, a couple hundred miles north of Corinth was the city of Philippi in, in Greece, ancient Greece. And to the, to the church in Philippi, Paul would write, Paul here is now in prison in Rome, and he says, For I know, verse 19 of chapter 1, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the, Holy, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has, happened to turn out for, what has happened to me will turn out for deliverance. That word deliverance there is a different word, but it's the idea of salvation. I know that what has happened to me will turn out for salvation. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I, this is what's happened to me, and I know that because you're praying and God's provision, there's going to be some kind of deliverance, whether it's in life or death. I'm hoping, I'm praying that God is going to be exalted in my body. Notice again the parallel. People of God praying, someone in need, God brings about deliverance, right? And we see this pattern throughout Scripture. There's a need, God's people pray, and God brings uh, a deliverance. And notice the result. The result, last part of verse 11 thanksgiving for God's gracious favor, thanksgiving for God's gracious favor, then there's, it's really a purpose statement. That word then, it, we, we could translate that word then, so that you must help us with prayers, so that, here's why your prayers are so important, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Gracious Favor. Isn't that a beautiful word? Aren't those two words beautiful? Gracious favor. God's help. Because many are going to give thanks for God's help. Now notice the focus here of Paul's, um, uh, the, or what he's saying here, his argument. His argument is this, is we have trouble. This is teaching us so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, right? Uh, this deliverance has come, and we believe it's going to continue, and it will come in the future. 
because you are helping us with your prayers so that many will give thanks to God. His focus is so, so that God is going to be exalted, that God will be glorified. I, what, this week, as I was just thinking of meditating upon this, I was thinking about how different Paul's focus is many times from what my focus is. Maybe what your focus is. God help me. God deliver me. God change my circumstance. God bring relief. Do you see where my focus is? I want a better life. <laughs> I want God's help to make my life better, to make me happier. And as my wife will sometimes say, fatter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And the purpose of intercessory prayer is so that really that God is going to be exalted and glorified. God's intent for you and I through the trouble is to learn that we would rely on him. God's intent is that through the prayers of many people will come to see and know him. You see how God's working in all this? God's intent is that through the trouble we would learn to come not rely on ourselves but on him. And God's intent is through the prayers of his people that many will come to know and see him. The gracious favor of God. Now I want us just to stop and think about this for a moment here. Um, what God is able to do in the circumstances of life is but a foreshadow of what God is able to do uh, with the far greater need, right? The, the, the trouble in Asia that Paul and his companions were experiencing was really a small thing compared to the trouble that Paul and his companions and really all of us face eternally, right? The trouble in Asia was temporary. The trouble with our sin is eternal, right? The salvation the deliverance that would come from the trouble in Asia was a foreshadowing of the, of the deliverance, the salvation, that, the greater salvation that God can bring to every person. Right? If our circumstances in Asia change, but our sin condition is never addressed, all we've done is we've just bought temporary relief. You understand that? Right? the greater need is to have our sin condition addressed. And the only person that can change that, the only person that can address that is the Lord Jesus Christ. What we heard in our testimonies this morning of the young ladies in baptism is that only God can save us from our sin. Right? And so the focus of our praying cannot be, God, just give me a more comfortable existence. God, work in such a way so that people would come to know that you are the gracious, life-giving, saving, rescuing, delivering God. That is what has to be the focus. That is what has to be the motivation of our prayers and, and why we're wanting God to be glorified, for God to be seen in this, so that many would come to give thanks 
for the gracious favor that God has given in response to the prayers of many. Intercessory prayer, standing in the gap for those who are in need, right? Why is intercessory prayer necessary? We can walk through this passage again. How do we pray for others? Let me offer you some practical suggestions on how to pray for others. Uh, just ways for us to put this into practice. Number one, uh, pray personally. Pray personally. Remember the, the, the spiritual song? It's not my brother, it's not my sister, oh Lord, it's me standing in need of prayer. It's not my mother, not my father, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. Not my preacher, not my deacon, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. And if we're going to practice praying for others, sometimes it starts with you and I admitting that we need prayer. And this is the first step. And sometimes we need to stop and we just need to say, brother or sister, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? Let me ask, let me offer you three words here that could maybe help us when we're talking about praying uh, personally. Uh, accountability, vulnerability, confidentiality. Let me start with that middle word, vulnerability. Just ask. Make yourself vulnerable. Go to a brother, go to a sister, say, listen, I need someone to pray with me. Accountability is... Sometimes the, the nature of the need is so personal, saying, listen, I need help with, and it's, I'm going to become accountable with. And we realize that we can't wear the mask, and we can't play the game, and we need to make ourselves accountable to someone. We're vulnerable. We're asking for help, accountable. We're saying, this is the need. I'm, I'm coming to you. I need your help. Uh, the third thing is confidentiality, and that is that when someone asks you to pray for them, Unless they give you permission, you're not free to share that need with others. You're not free to share that need with others. You're not able to say, hey, uh, you get together with your friends, your small group, and say, hey, listen, we need to pray for so-and-so, and, -so, and there's and all the stuff. Why? No. We're not free to do that unless we're given permission, right? But you and I, we're called to pray for one another in a confidential, personal manner, right? Accountability, vulnerability, confidentiality, pray personally, pray immediately. Pray right then and there, right? When someone says to you, hey, will you pray with me? Follow that up with, can we pray right now? Can we pray right now? And let me encourage you with this. Write it down. Put it in your phone. Store it away somewhere so that you don't forget to pray. Pray immediately and, and then just continue to pray with that. Pray biblically. Pray biblically. What scripture might you pray over that situation? You may want to ask the person who's asked for prayer, is there a verse that you have that I could pray specifically with you about? Or as you're praying for them, would ask God to direct you to a scripture that you can pray with that person for? In the last nine months or so, God has been impressing upon me the number of life lies that we have believed as life truths. A life lie, a lie from the enemy, a lie from Satan that we believe today as a truth. A life lie that says something like this, you're not loved, you're not wanted, you can't be forgiven. You'll never amount to anything. And we hear these messages somewhere along life's journey and we 
believe them, even into our adulthood, and we have our masks, but they're always haunting us. They're working in the background. And John 8, 32 says, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so one of the ways that I've begun to pray is, Father, help so-and-so know the truth of how you see them and what you think of them. Set them free from the life lie, and I name that life lie. I think of the fear of man, how the fear of man is a huge um, deterrent in the lives of many believers. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says that the fear of man brings a snare, lays a trap. The one who fears the Lord is set free. And so I pray, Father, deliver so-and-so from the fear of man, from the bondage of trying to please, please them or from the fear of uh, what they might do or not do to them or for them. Pray personally, pray immediately, pray biblically, pray repeatedly. Continue to pray for others. Don't stop. That's why writing it down is so important. And it, it, I know in my life, if I don't write it down, I, I, I'm bound to forget, right? And if I don't pray immediately, if I just say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and I don't write it down, the chances are that I've just lied because I'm going to forget to pray. So when someone says, would you pray, pray immediately, why? Because take that right now, but pray repeatedly. That's why writing it down is so important, that you have a record of that, and you can keep coming back to that. You can, that's a discipline that I need to work on in my life, and it's a discipline that I'm going to urge all of us to begin to, to develop and to cultivate. Write it down. Intercessory prayer. is not for those who in our minds we might elevate and say, well, there's the super spiritual people. They're the ones who have access to God. That's something that so-and-so does, right? I hope you hear this morning that intercessory prayer is a ministry that God is calling all his people to. Ephesians 6, verse 18, with this in mind, be alert Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Who do you know this morning that's standing in need of prayer? Who do you know today that is standing in the need of prayer? Will you pray for them? Maybe this morning you're the one here who is standing in need of prayer. Will you allow someone? Will you allow us to pray for you? In a moment, the worship team is going to come. They're going to come and sing. Why don't you guys come right now? Scott and Sandy are going to be with me here at the front and Scott and Sandy are our prayer partners. They're, they're ready, willing, able to pray with you. As I've said before, they're, what you share with them is confidential. I invite you to come and receive the ministry of prayer today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. Thank you that you have 
graciously spoken to us in your word about the ministry of prayer. Father, we ask that we would um, obey you in this matter of praying for one another and helping one another, lifting one another up in prayer. Father God, I ask that this morning that we would not hide from asking others to pray for us and with us. Renew within this body, renew within us, Father, a, a fervent commitment not to just talk about prayer, to think about prayer, to know something about prayer, but renew within us a fervent commitment like that of Carl, like that of Max, to be men and women who pray, who intercede, who stand in the gap for others. Have your will, have your way in us. For we pray and ask this all through the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. I invite you to come and receive the ministry of prayer this morning. I'm here at the front. Scott and Sandy are here as well. I invite you to come and receive uh, the ministry of prayer together. Let's pray, or let's sing together.